Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, The Pursuit of Happiness, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Philippians. Here's Pastor Nick. And so what did we do? Well, we didn't do nothing. In fact, we did just the opposite of nothing. We did everything that we could possibly do. We prayed a lot. We contacted everybody we knew and asked them to contact everybody they knew and asked them all to pray for God to heal our daughter. We took our daughter to three different hospitals for weeks at a time. We, we did six hours of therapy at home every single day for nine months. But we also made a choice that after this was all said and done, after we had done everything that we could, whatever happened... We were going to accept it from God's hand and we were going to trust in God's love, his power, and his plan for us and for our daughter. And by God's grace, our daughter did get better. She's here today and and we praise God for that. And the thing though is this, that if she hadn't, if it hadn't gone that way, we wouldn't have cursed God, we wouldn't have complained, and we would have trusted in God's love, God's power, and God's plan for us and for our daughter. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about contentment. Contentment doesn't mean that you stop trying. Contentment is saying, no matter what happens, God, I will trust in your love, in your power, and your plan, and I will trust that you will use even this for my good and for your glory. You know, it's interesting. This is, I was thinking about it last night. I was thinking, this is the third time that I have taught through Paul's letter to the Philippians in a setting like this. And uh, it's interesting, though, that this time around, I noticed something that I hadn't noticed before that really kind of became clear to me as I was teaching this time. And I think that's one of the benefits of studying the Word in this way. You know, maybe you've you've heard a series on Philippians or or Colossians, but maybe this time around, God's going to bring something to the surface that you hadn't noticed before. But anyway, here's the thing that I really came to see this time very clearly, that besides joy... The great theme of this letter is how Christianity is at the same time about resting in Christ and about pursuing Christ. That's something that Paul brings up over and over again. He talks about resting in God's sovereignty and God's plan, trusting that he will accomplish his purposes no matter what, and at the same time, striving and doing everything, straining with all of your might, doing everything that you can to do God's will. See, it's both of those things. They're both part of the Christian life. And over and over throughout this letter, Paul brings this theme up. We rest in what Jesus has done for us. It's not what we have to do. It's what he has done for us. We trust in God's sovereignty over our circumstances. We trust in God's plan. And yet, we exert ourselves as much as an Olympic runner, he says. We take bold steps of faith to fulfill God's calling on our lives and to carry out his mission. I'd put it this way. The Christian life is a blend of rest and pursuit. Not alternating between the two, but a blend of rest and pursuit. On the one hand, resting in Christ. On the other hand, actively pursuing Christ. And both have to be present if we are really to embrace the gospel and to follow Jesus. That brings us to our third point, and that is this. The roots of your discontentment usually go deeper than you think. Now, I mentioned that all of us have a sense of discontentment within us. And personally, I think the reason we have that discontentment, well, I'll tell you why in just a minute, but the thing is that what we usually think is the root of our discontentment is not deep enough. The roots of our discontentment usually go deeper than we think. In Mark chapter 2, very 
famous story, Jesus goes to Capernaum and a huge crowd, when they find out that Jesus is there, he's in a house and this huge crowd descends upon the house. They fill the house, they're overflowing out of the house, they're outside, there's this huge crowd and Jesus is in the house with this crowd of people and he's preaching the word is what it says. And some men, they hear that Jesus is in town and they get excited to hear that because they have a friend who's crippled, he's paralyzed and they hope that Jesus will be able to heal him but they can't get into the house because there's just so many people and so they get innovative and they go up on the roof and they bust a hole in the ceiling of the house. It's an act of vandalism and they lower their friend down through the hole in the ceiling to where Jesus is at. They're hoping that Jesus will heal him. It's extremely bold on their part. And when Jesus saw their bold act of faith, here's what he said to the paralytic. You ready for this? He said, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's kind of a bizarre thing to say in a situation like that. I mean, let's be honest, right? Like, if you were coming to me and be like, Nick, can I borrow your car? And I was like, your sins are forgiven. You'd be like, well, uh, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that, but uh, I was asking about the car. That's kind of like these guys, right? They, they come and they, they lower their friend through the roof, and this is what they get? Your sins are forgiven? Well, thanks, I guess, right? But that's not what we came here for. I'm paralyzed. I have an immediate need. Can't you see that? That's what I came for help with. Why, are you, why aren't you helping me with that? Why are you doing this instead? See, here's the deal. Jesus knows that this man has a much bigger problem a much more immediate problem than his physical condition. And what he's saying is this, I see your suffering, but please understand this. Please understand there's a deeper issue. There's a bigger need. Your greatest need is not just to be healed physically. That is a need, absolutely. And Jesus did heal a lot of people. But with this man, he, he looked at him and he looked into his heart and he said, your need is first to be forgiven of your sins and reconciled to God. Jesus said in another place, he said, what does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? What Jesus is saying is, you're not going deep enough. Don't you see? You're not going deep enough. You think that this is the cause of your discontentment, but you're not going deep enough. You're not getting to the real issue at the heart of your discontentment. You see, like any person who can't do something, surely this crippled man would have thought, if only I could walk. That's what I really need. If only I could walk, I would never complain about anything ever again in my whole life. If only I could walk, then I would be happy. I wouldn't need anything else. That's just the one thing. You know, I I promise I'll never complain again. Have you ever had thoughts like that? If only I was, if only I had, fill in the blank. Then I would be happy. Then I would be content. But what Jesus is saying is, you're not going deep enough. You're not going deep enough. The roots of your discontentment go deeper than you think. That crippled man thought that all he needed was to be healed physically, but what he really needed was something more. He needed to be forgiven of his sins. He needed to be made right with God. If Jesus would have only healed his body, that man would have felt great, wouldn't he? Until, that is, the euphoria wore off and he realized that the discontentment in his heart as he lay there in bed at night, the discontentment was still there. Because he hadn't gone deep enough yet. He hadn't gotten to the root of the discontentment. He'd only gone skin deep. And the real issue was in his heart. When we talk about this pursuit of happiness, here's the thing. Most people have underestimated the depth of the longings of their heart. Most people have 
underestimated the depth of the longings of their heart. Most people think that what they truly long for, the source of their discontentment, is something which can be found here on earth. Success, material wealth, a relationship with another person. But the reality is that what our hearts truly long for is nothing less than redemption. What our hearts truly long for, what your heart truly longs for, is nothing less than perfection. What your heart longs for is nothing less than God himself. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And in Jesus, this is the hope of the gospel, that God has provided not only for our surface desires, but for our true needs. And when we come to know him, we find true contentment regardless of our circumstances. Now the fourth and final lesson from this section in Philippians is this, the most unexpected key to joy. Now, in this letter, we have seen several keys to experiencing joy, some of which seem very counterintuitive. For example, we've learned that to experience joy, we must be humble, right? And that seems counterintuitive. It seems counterintuitive to say that to find joy in your life means to seek the welfare of others above your own. That seems counterintuitive, but I think perhaps this final key to experiencing joy that Paul points out here is the most surprising, the most unexpected. You know what it is? It's honoring God with your money. From verses 14 through 19, Paul remembers, he recalls how the Philippians had supported him financially. Even after he had left Philippi and gone to Thessalonica and he had pastored churches and other places, Paul went to Thessalonica and the Thessalonians weren't giving in the same way that the Philippians had given. And so the Philippians were actually supporting the ministry that Paul was doing in Philippi. And it says that they actually sent him financial support twice while he was there. We also know that while Paul was in Corinth, the church in Philippi was supporting the ministry there financially. Now in Thessalonica and in Corinth, those people uh, were not giving to support the church which was ministering to them. They were consuming and not contributing. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul kind of scolds them, and this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. That's a shame, he says. He's saying to the Corinthians, why should the Philippians have to support the ministry that you're receiving from? That's not right. You should have been supporting the house that you were a part of. But instead, we had to rely on the generosity of outside people, of Philippians, to cover the cost. Paul was writing to the Corinthians to tell them that they ought to be honoring God with their money and contributing to the work of God financially. But here's the thing. The stinginess of the Corinthians, the stinginess of the Thessalonians, what did it result in? It resulted in the Philippians being doubly blessed, triply blessed, even more blessed, because it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you could put it this way, God will even bless your selfishness. Of course, you won't experience any of those blessings. Someone else will, but God can even bless selfishness. See, that's what Paul's saying here, that every time the Philippians gave, he was excited for them. And here's why, because it produced fruit to their account. And all of the good fruit that came from the ministries which they were supporting, which they were financing, was credited to their account. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings online or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. 
Those of you who this summer have supported these mission teams going this summer, those of you who have given to to purchase Bibles for Iranian refugees, the thing we did a couple months ago, uh, those of you who have given to support the human trafficking ministry we support in Eastern Europe, let me tell you what, you are a vital part of those ministries. I've been on the other side of that. I remember, you know, being a missionary and seeing how directly the monies that came in directly enabled ministry. The fruit of those ministries increases to your credit. Paul says, know this, giving is good because it's good for you. He says, you're storing up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. He says, like a good investor, you're using what God has given you to further his work and your reward will be given to you in heaven. You see, getting to heaven is all about Jesus and embracing what he has done for you. But the Bible also tells us that we will get rewards in heaven based on what we did with what we had while we had the time to do it. You know, money, when we talk about money, it's something I, I don't like to talk about a lot, and I probably avoid it more than I ought to. I realized that recently. I, I keep a spreadsheet of all the topics that I talk about, and I notice that this is the one that I almost never talk about. So here you go. If you're here for the first time or you're visiting, just know we don't want anything from you. just want your attention. But I do believe it's important that we talk about money. Money is, is not inherently good nor inherently bad. Money is morally neutral, kind of like a brick. Oh, hey, I've got a brick. Is that good or is that bad? Well, it depends. What would you do with your brick? Well, I threw my brick through somebody's window. Well, was that good? No, that was bad. Well, what would you do with your brick? Well, I used my brick to build a hospital. Was that good? Yes, that was good. So it's, that's what money's like. It's not that money's inherently good or bad. What matters is what you do with it. And money can either be a tool that you use or it can become an idol that you worship. Money can either be a tool that you use to worship God to build his kingdom, to care about what he cares about. Or it can become an idol where instead of using it to worship God, instead of using it and worshiping God, you worship money. You know, what's interesting is that, you know, I lived in Eastern Europe for a while in a relatively poor country, and you don't have to have money to idolize money. In fact, I'd say that people who don't have money are maybe even more inclined to idolizing money than people who do have money because at least people who do have money have realized that it's empty, that it doesn't fulfill the true longing of your heart. But see, we live in a world where many people love money and use people. God has called us as his people to do just the opposite, to love people and to use money, to use it as a tool to do his work. And when you really understand the gospel, what it does is it sets you free to be radically generous because God has been radically generous to you. And this is the same reasoning that Paul used with the Corinthians. Remember, with the Corinthians, he's writing them because he's telling them, you guys are not doing well with your generosity. And this is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the reasoning he gives for why they should be generous givers because Jesus was radically generous towards them. Therefore, to follow Jesus means to be radically generous with what you have. Here's what Paul tells the Philippians. He says, thank you for this financial gift. But you know what really excites me? What excites me is not what this gift does for me. What really excites me is what this gift does for you. Because every time you give, it's causing fruit to abound to your account. You are sowing seeds of generosity. And as a result, you will reap a harvest of joy and good fruit, spiritual fruit, both in this life and continuing on into the life which is to come. 
When the Bible teaches about our attitude towards money, it's the principle it teaches is that we are called to be stewards, that everything ultimately belongs to God, and we are called to be stewards of God's resources. What is a steward? A steward is a person who has been entrusted with managing someone else's estate or someone else's finances. And the job of a steward is to manage that estate, manage those finances in accordance with the owner's wishes and desires. And so that's how we are called in the Bible to look at money and possessions, not just money, but everything we have. It's not really ours at the end of the day. It's God's. And he's entrusted us with some portion of it, and he wants us to use it as he would see fit. And so when I'm spending my money, I ask myself the question, is this what God would want me to do with his money? Now, I seek to do this with my family. Uh, Even though I'm a pastor, I figure I'd give you my personal take on this. Even though I'm a pastor of this church, this is the church that we belong to. My kids go to children's ministry. We get ministered to by you here in this church, and so we belong to this church, and therefore we give financially to this church. One of the things that we do is we follow the Old Testament principle where God asks the people in the Old Testament to give a tithe or 10% of their income back to the work of God. In the Old Testament, went towards the ministry of the temple. In the New Testament, we believe that this would be the local church, which would be the equivalent of that, where you are ministered to. So we follow that principle in our family. We give a tithe, 10%, to be used for the work of God through the church, you know, paying the rent and, and supporting missions and outreaches and buying children's ministry curriculum and saving for our church to eventually have our own building one day and with what's left over after that then we pay our bills and we do whatever else we need to do but before we pay our bills we start with our tithe because what we found is that if we wait until the end of the month and hope that there will be something left over uh, there never is if we got it we spend it which is kind of how we are but we found that if we give to God first and that shapes how we spend the rest of our money it kind of shapes our priorities for the rest of the month it also represents something if you give to god from what's left over where is he on the priority list he's i mean by definition he's your last priority at least in that area but if you give to him first it's kind of a statement saying i am prioritizing this i am putting this first proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says honor the lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your increase. So that's what we seek to do. And sometimes in addition to the tithe that we give to the church, we also give an offering to another cause, a missions organization, or uh, someone else who's in need, someone we know who needs something. You know, money is, again, like I said, it's not something that I really like to talk about because, you know, it can seem kind of self-serving, I think, as a pastor, whenever a pastor talks about money. I've always said I would rather focus my attention on Jesus and the gospel and I'll let God worry about the money. But here's the problem with that, is that Jesus, if, I'm t- if I want to talk about Jesus, the problem is that Jesus sure did talk a lot about money. He talked about money a lot. And the Bible has a lot to say about how we should handle our money in light of the gospel. And so what we do with our money, it reveals a lot about us. And so therefore, if we're going to be faithful to talk about Jesus and the gospel, we have to talk about money because money reveals a lot about what we believe and what we value. Now, I don't think that the tithing thing that I mentioned, I don't think that that is a rule that you need to necessarily follow. I don't think it's a law. I believe it's a principle. And the purpose of the principle isn't only to fund the work of God, although that is important. The greater principle is that honoring God with our money sets us free from self-centeredness. When we open our hands, it lets go of our selfishness. And it also gets our hearts and our minds focused 
on God and his work. You know, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't know if you've ever had stock, but when you have your money in a particular stock, guess what you do every day, right, when you wake up? You check the stock price. You check it at the end of the day. You want to know, how's my stock doing? Did it go up? Did it go down? Did I make money? Did I not make money? Wherever you put your treasure, your heart and your mind naturally follow. If all your treasure goes to yourself, then guess where your heart and mind go as well? Guess where your heart and mind will be focused? But if you are giving your treasure to the work of God, to missions, to whatever, these kind of things, guess where your heart and your mind will be focused? You're going to want to know how that mission's going. How did that turn out? How did that project go? How's the ministry that I'm, that I'm part of, that I'm supporting? How is it going? I'm invested at this point. And when you open your hand to give, again, you let go of self-centeredness. And you are directing your heart and your mind to be aligned with God's work and God's mission. An important key to experiencing joy is to honor God with your money. And that's where this incredible promise comes in in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now who is this, who is he saying this to? Is this just a general promise that applies to everybody? Well, no. No, it's not. This promise was given to a group of people who had been giving sacrificially. It took faith for the Philippians from their poverty to give an offering like this. But it's to these people that Paul then makes this promise. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And maybe you're a person who says, you know what, I want to do this, right? Like I want to honor God with my finances, but I don't know if I can, right? Like I'm barely making ends meet as it is. I, I don't know if I can. If I were to give a tithe, I'm going to have to cut from somewhere. Maybe I have to, you know, uh, cut back on one or two things that I spend money on. And by the way, that is kind of the point. But if you are willing to take those bold steps, let me tell you, if you're willing to take those steps and honor God with your finances, this promise of Paul here applies to you. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And one last thing, do you know that this is the one thing, the one thing that the Bible actually encourages us to test God on? Interesting, right? This is the one thing. In Malachi chapter 3, God tells his people, go ahead, test me in this. Honor me with your money and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour down blessing upon you. The most unexpected key to joy is this. Honor God with your finances. Now let's end the book with these final three verses. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Those in Caesar's household refers to people who are coming to know Jesus through Paul being imprisoned in Rome. See, that was Paul's attitude. Rather than being a victim and saying, I'm chained to Roman guards, he said, no, Roman guards are chained to me. And he was telling them about Jesus. And we see that they were coming to believe in Jesus. And with this, Paul closes his epistle of joy, reminding us that the pursuit of happiness will only end when we come to know the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, have you received that grace? Have you rested in that grace? Have you responded to that grace? I encourage you to do so today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that though you were rich, you became poor so that through you, we might become rich. And Lord, we receive that grace. And Lord, we want to rest in that grace. Those of us who have received it, we pray you'd help us to rest. But Lord, would you help us also to respond? 
that in our contentment that we wouldn't become complacent. But Lord, help us to, to do both, to rest fully in you, to rest fully in your plan and your sovereignty and to trust in your love and at the same time to do everything in our power, to pursue you and to pursue doing your will for your glory. Lord, we also pray for our country. This has been a very hard week for our country. And Lord, we pray for peace to reign on our streets in this country. Lord, we pray that you would bind Satan in the ways that he wants to hurt people of any background, Lord. We know that you love them. And we ask for peace to reign. And Lord, we pray that uh, righteousness and truth, justice would reign on the streets of our country. Lord, we pray that it would begin with us as well. Lord, that you would renew us, that you would regenerate us, that you would make us into the people of God, and that as we go out into this world, that we might represent you and serve you well. So Lord, I pray today for anyone who hasn't yet received your grace, who says, you know what, I'm here today, and this is all really good, but I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. Lord, I pray that those people right now, as as they're praying with their heads bowed, Lord, I pray that they would make that decision to say, yes, Jesus, I receive you. Thank you for what you did for me. I admit that I've sinned, but thank you, Lord, that your love is bigger than anything that I've ever done, Lord. Your love is huge. Thank you, Lord, that you saved me, that your love is greater than death. And I receive that, and I choose to respond to it. But may we respond to your grace as we go from here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.